here we go. Ready? Um, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Remix Podcast. I'm Heather, joined by my Remix co-founder, Courtney Coleman, and our season four guest host, Ava Mayabal-Davis, independent collaborator and founder of Ava Mayha Projects. Um, we are joined today by Cohen Jeff Baisa, a medical doctor, member of AICA, which stands for the International Association of Art Critics, and he's a Whitney Museum ISP curatorial alumnus who's partip- participated in medical missions and conflict zones and develops health apps for personal mobile devices. He's on the board of several national and international arts organizations. His current practice bridges medical culture and social sculpture with specific interests in the neuroscience of memory and perception, the cultural constructs of health and disease states, and multisensory immersive art experiences. That's a lot, and I'm going to keep going. He is the chief medical officer of Medical Avatar, co-founder of the Joshua Triennial, curator of the Institute for Art and Olfaction, senior founder of the Honolulu Biennial Foundation, director of Pono Projects, and the director of iBiennial, an itinerant island-based global summit. Cohen organizes exhibitions, workshops, and panel discussions globally. After 15 years in New York, he's now based in Los Angeles and splits his time between the City of Angels, Honolulu, and New York City. A writer at heart, he is proud of his three amazing grandsons and loves his wonderfully diverse family and Ohana. I had to include that from your website because I thought it was really sweet. You (laughs) don't often see people actually like acknowledging their family in their bio so i'm sure your grandsons are happy about that oh, amazing i'm gonna get to see them uh, this weekend oh that's great yeah, yeah they're up in beacon they're in beacon yeah oh, uh, my, so so, my son uh, is the uh, uh, major uh, fabricator for matthew barney oh wow and my daughter-in-law who's british who used to be my friend i introduced them <laughs> runs a beacon flea market every sunday in oh. beacon oh amazing so great uh, great families all around Wow, that's so amazing. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today. I know you travel a lot, and so it's amazing that we actually got a time (laughs) and a place set up to actually be in person with you. No, thank you. This is a wonderful opportunity. Thank you. No problem. Um, So let's start. I want to start with the obvious. What makes a medical doctor care about art? And now we know that your family is also involved (laughs) in art. So how how did this all happen? Well, let's start off with me being a creative person that actually went uh, to medical school instead of going to art school. And so I had to find some way of staying in the art world, uh, and I found it vicariously by becoming a collector. And so I actually started collecting works. I Initially, I wanted uh, female Mexican surrealists. <laughs> Couldn't afford Frida Kahlo or, uh, <laughs> or any of the others at that time. So I enlarged the group to include some of the men in that group. <laughs> and among that group was actually a Hungarian uh, of... Hungarian ancestry Mexican artist named Gunta Gelso, mm-hmm. and he and I became good friends uh, in Mexico, and he came up to California where he did a, um, a book with Octavio Paz, and uh, we just became good friends. Through my going to Mexico looking at archaeological sites, again, if I'm being long-winded, let me know. No, <laughs> uh, that was my interest. It was actually uh, the Curi family in Mexico City mm-hmm. that uh, helped me along. I saw Gabriel Curi who's a well-established artist now based in, in Brussels. Uh, I saw his work at Gallery Kin in San Angel in Mexico City. It took me a little while to find and to meet him, but once we met, we became fast friends. 
and he introduced me to the young generation of artists at that time that included Abram Cruz Viegas, who's also getting a lot of uh, attention right now. So on that basis, also his brother, Pepe, or <laughs> and Monica, have formed Curimanzuto, mm -hmm. which is one of the you know, major galleries uh, in the world, I would say, right now. So it kind of grew out of that interest, uh, you know, uh, from being in Mexico, meet uh, young contemporary uh, artists in their early stages. And I'm so happy to see them blossoming now in their careers. And so you didn't stop, but it takes a moment to go from medical school and being a doctor, meeting some people in Mexico, to then doing the Whitney ISP program. Like, right. how, how, yeah. how does that happen? I think there's a natural progression when one collects, and I think mm -hmm. uh, collectors would probably agree that unless you're uh, relying, um, if you're uh, curating your own collection, I mean, yeah. basically you're functioning as a curator when you're doing collecting. So I think it's a natural segue. Mm -hmm. I started curating in Hawaii, actually, in a friend's restaurant, uh, then the next step was doing larger and larger shows with the museums and universities in Hawaii. And there was a commission in uh, Washington, D.C. It was the 100th anniversary of Philippine um, independence. I was approached by a commission in D.C. to do a large traveling exhibition uh, that started actually in San Francisco, uh, moved to Hawaii, uh, Houston at the CAM, and then ended up at the Metropolitan Museum in Manila. And so that was my first uh, introduction to international curating. And uh, people treated us very well. I actually worked with Dana Fries Hansen, uh, who was a curator at CAM. Mm -hmm. He's also a friend of Fumio Nanjo at the Mori Art Museum. So these worlds all, all connect. And I had such a wonderful time. I said, hey, maybe I can do this you know, along with medicine. And that's where I, I got on my track to uh, get the Whitney ISP. I was partly inspired by uh, Paul Pfeiffer, a friend, mm -hmm. and another uh, person of Filipino extraction uh, who went through the uh, Whitney program, and uh, I was encouraged by him to, to take, you know, take on the, uh, the practice of medicine and uh, the pursuit of art at the same time. And then after finishing the Whitney program, I stayed in New York for 15 years, had a medical office, actually a stone's throw from here. It was actually at 5 Harrison Street, oh, wow. right across from what used to be um, Chateraille. Um I think maybe now it's a, a Korean restaurant. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, you know, that was uh, great. I shared an office with, uh, with the OBGYN, actually a GYN, I should say, um, who was the uh, person who took care of women at Rikers Island. So we had a very lively wow. office. <laughs> wow. What kind of medicine do you... Do you, and also, do you still practice medicine? Uh, yes, but on a different platform. Okay. I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Okay. But the specialty I finished at UCSF was allergy and clinical immunology. Oh, okay. um, but because I was splitting my time literally commuting, commuting between Hawaii and uh, New York, I Such <laughs> a long commute. during the Whitney That's program, the commute ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it functioned in a way because I'm a specialist physician, and the office in Hawaii was a general pediatrician's office. I'm trained in pediatrics, also mm -hmm. where I trained in New Mexico. And so I would cover uh, Dr. Tenby's office in Hawaii and see my patients. And uh, for the short period of time that I was there, he would take a holiday. Um, his spouse is uh, a flight attendant. They would look at the board at the airport and say, Tokyo or Japan today, or Tokyo or Paris today, sorry. Uh, and they would just fly off. So for the short period of time, it was. But then I found I needed to be more grounded here in New York. And so I gave up the uh, practice in Honolulu, established one here in Tribeca. Um, and uh, 
Actually, my community service at that time was providing free medical care for uninsured artists. Mm. And so that's something I did uh, as I got my community service. Wow. At the time, uh, Barbara Hunt, uh, unfortunately she just passed away, was oh. at Artist Space and she organized a, a panel discussion which I participated about health care for uh, mm. artists. Mm. And that was my contribution to the community. Wow. Um, and then that led, so it didn't stop there. So then now you've founded so many different things since then. Um, which one do you want to talk about first? <laughs> <laughs> uh, all of them. No. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we have time to talk all of them. But I, I would yeah. say that um, when I was at the Virilis Center for Art and Politics, I was on the board there, uh, a wonderful group of uh, people was inspired by Karen Kuoni, who I think is still at, um, at VLC. Mm -hmm. And uh, with those contacts, I was motivated to look at the political art, because they, they have a collection of political art. Mm -hmm. But also, that was kind of a galvanizing uh, community for me to uh, start branching out into other organizations. So I've been on the board of Art Omai International Art Colony mm -hmm. uh, for, I think, I'm going on 19 years now. <gasps> And uh, <laughs> we have an amazing board as well. Um, and uh, besides that, uh, the other organizations uh, that kind of developed from that was the Honolulu Biennial. Mm. The idea actually first started um, when I was at the VLC. Uh, it grew into the Honolulu Biennial with the uh, pilot program, uh, I would say a proto-biennial, in 2014. Then we had uh, one in 2017 and just one in 2019. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was very, very involved in 2017. In 2019, I started to feel as if uh, I had outgrown the hermit shell <laughs> and looked for another house uh, while still contributing to it, but looking at the I Biennale, I have to say Biennale instead, the I for itinerant and I for island-based. Mm -hmm. And so I'm looking at, in the future of 2021, I'm looking right now at Iceland, uh, Taiwan, and, mm -hmm. um, and Singapore. Oh, wow. potential and I'll be doing a trip in the next couple of months uh, to those uh, places so we've been talking with some of the other guests this season about the local versus the global and that just that brings it would be sort of outgrowing the hermit shell that you right. were just talking yeah. about yeah. I'm curious um, how you view your work and how you view community and audience this might be too big of a question <laughs> early on in this in this talk but just thinking about that like the hawaii biennial and then moving on to all these other islands throughout the world right. like what uh, yeah how, how do you think about that and process it and yeah well uh the four things I ca as i went through uh the anticipating the interview process the four items that i really wanted to emphasize was community mm -hmm. uh diversity access and um, the fourth would be inclusion mm -hmm. so those are kind of the tenets by which uh, I, I formed these uh, exhibitions mm -hmm. um, and I like to kind of as I say dance at the edges of the Gaussian curve <laughs> 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 because I like these feather edges uh, they're kind of outside the line of thinking I mean for example when um, there was a gallery here in Tribeca um, and I had thought of the idea of uh, China and Asia, which I mean China and Africa, sorry, Asia and Africa, and how people at that time didn't have so much of a mindset. They don't think of Africa and Asia within the same kind of mindset. So mm -hmm. I thought it would be interesting to have an exhibition about this very idea. It was called Dafrit Dazi, <laughs> to exoticize it a bit. It just means from Africa and from Asia. 
mm. but included uh, African and African-American artists who looked at Asia in some perspective. One prime example would be Ayana Roselle Brown from mm -hmm. Chicago, who has these wonderful, um, you know, woodcut-like images of dreadlocks, but with also dark skin. So um, that would be one example. Cy Wolfack was part of it as well, who's another wonderful artist I'm working with. Right. These really hybrid identities. Yeah. Um, and you continue that throughout yeah, the years. Yeah, exactly. Well, the future of the um, I Biennale would be looking at a third of the artists uh, from Hawaii, because I really want to bring artists uh, from Hawaii. Statistically, Hawaii is actually the most remor remote metro metropolis, mm -hmm. uh, with the definition being uh, population greater than 500,000 mm -hmm. in the world. <laughs> exactly. And so um, my one of my goals is to bring those artists, and there's a, a, a real wealth of talent there, yeah. to a global platform. Mm -hmm. That was part of the... Uh, also part of the mission that I helped establish with the Honolulu Biennial and continuing it with the IBNLA. Mm -hmm. A third would be uh, locally, wherever the uh, uh, IBNLA rests, whether that's you know, Singapore or Taipei or Iceland. Right. And the third would be an international, trying to f you know, kind of flesh out that. But the topics would be um, you know, chosen per Biennale. Mm -hmm. yeah. Where is the first IBNLA happening? Well, the first one did happen this spring. Okay. Right, uh-huh. It was entitled the Anthropocene, <laughs> which is a takeoff on the Anthropocene. Mm -hmm. And the idea behind it was that, uh, you know, that art is in this, uh, in the age of social activism, um, you know, is an important thing, whether it's environmental activism, whether it's uh, identity politics, whether it's gun violence, all of those issues, you know, should be addressed. So as much as possible with this first iteration, we try to include all of those topics. I was just going to talk about the Joshua Trenial, yes. which has had uh, three iterations now, beginning in 2015, working with uh, Bernard Lieboff uh, with Boxo Projects and Joshua Tree. Uh, this now has kind of come under the umbrella of Desert X mm -hmm. also, so it's very exciting. So mm -hmm. it was actually the Joshua Trenial. That was kind of my play on words. <laughs> 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 it's not meant to be a triennial, it's a, a trenial. Um, but we wanted to have it whenever, you know, we wanted. But now that we're associated with the uh, Desert X, it's uh, handy to have it. <laughs> <laughs> Every I just like you, you have a lot of fun with your titles. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I love wordplay, so. <laughs> um, I was just going to ask, or at least get you started speaking about your interest in tech, because uh -huh. that's really fascinating. Does it intersect right. with all of this, or yeah. is it, do you keep yes, it separate? Uh, no, it is. I, I think they're all they're interconnected yeah. somehow. It allows okay. for a lot of global conversation. Absolutely, right. yeah, yeah. So there are two things I could touch on is, um, well, I could touch on the medical missions uh, is one thing. Uh, so along with this project formed by a friend, uh, Colin, who formed Five Day Missions, uh, we did a project in, uh, in Beirut, and I worked with a clinic. I'm not a surgeon, but I helped organize a clinic. And we had an, uh, a cataract clinic and helped uh, 60 individuals, you know, have almost immediate uh, return of their lives to normal because then they could be productive by reading. They could have a small industry within their uh, encampment. So that was one of them. Uh, there was another uh, in Bosnia in which I approached community leaders uh, in health but what were the basic needs, or the best needs, in terms of uh, health education, mainly having to do with the youth and the aged and asthma mm -hmm. and ADHD. I mean, though, so that, that's one area. Mm -hmm. The other area is, uh, is um, Medical Avatar, which is a website you can actually go to and look at. 
And uh, I formed this uh, with Virgil Wong, who's like an amazing artist and a medical scientist. I'm not sure you know him, but uh, an amazing individual. Um, and there's emphasis on two primary things, is visualization and patient engagement. So those are the tools we work mm -hmm. with. It's an educational site. We, we also use uh, visualization as a way of um, presenting data in such a way. Um, there's a favorite project of mine within that that I'm still developing, haven't launched yet, called uh, The Doctor Will Hear You Now, <laughs> because uh, there's a statistic that the physician interrupts the patient 18 to 30 seconds into the telling of the story of their medical history. And then it's commandeered, and I can say that because I'm a physician, and <laughs> I've seen this happen to myself as well. And um, so the idea is to have uh, part of the medical avatar is a visual diary, which symbols that represent the intensity, location, etc., of uh, the history of the illness. And so trying to present the data in a digestible format. Mm. But the other uh, part of the equation is a physician who really needs to um, be quiet and to listen to the patient. Yeah. So it's a behavioral thing, and I'm not sure which is going to be the more difficult, I can guess, of side of the equation, but that, but that is a goal. I think in terms of efficiency um, in today's day and age, um, I was just reading Eric Topol's latest book, uh, if you know the author, Eric Topol, he's a physician at Squ uh, Scripps Institute in mm -hmm. San Diego. His newest book uh, called Deep Medicine uh, is alluding to the fact that uh, art artificial intelligence, AI, is going to be do able to do a lot of the algorithmic thinking that we have now in terms of diagnostics. Mm -hmm. And ultimately down the road that physicians, our strength is going to be mainly in empathy. Mm. Yeah, just the I human feel, component. Uh, yeah. I think yeah. there's going to, uh, since your husband's in, in tech, yeah. um, I think, Courtney, that I think that um, that may be the way, but I still think that there's a place for the, the human <laughs> right. in yeah. terms, besides empathy, the human physician, because there are a lot of... Uh, Nuances. Uh, there's a saying in medicine: if you uh, if you hear hoofbeats, you know, think of horses, not zebras. But you know, there are these unusual diagnoses. But I think the role of the specialist is to think of these uh, things that other people may not have thought of. So mm -hmm. I think there's still a role for the you know humanist physician. And how is uh, so medical avatar? Can we talk about that a little bit more? Uh -huh. um, <clears throat> so um, do you do education with the physicians too? Like, how do you integrate this into the experience of a patient or a physician? Well, there are apps uh, on there, mainly developed by virtual and, uh, and cohorts mm -hmm. um, that are available to uh, health groups, and we have mm -hmm. subscribers uh, already mm -hmm. with that. Mm -hmm. There's also an app for um, health clubs in case you want to track your, um, your body weight and other parameters. There's another mm -hmm. app for that as well. There's a scanning mechanism, so mm -hmm. um, there's a there's a menu of things on the medical avatar website. How would you say that bringing an artist on board for a project like this benefits the project? Like, what is the role of the artist most valid to or important for um, yeah. in the success of this? Yeah, I think that's a really, really good question. I think uh, one of the ways to look at this is um, the kind of Obama initiative of STEM and STEAM programming, because mm -hmm. his initiative for science, technology, engineering, and math because of the, um, the future uh, dearth of uh, people in interested in these uh, areas. Uh, as it was a really good initiative, and I think the A was added, and this is gets to our point, in terms of the way that problems are approached. So you have, it's not a 
either or, but the approach from science is mainly a quantitative approach, uh, a rigorous, uh, maybe a more strict approach, whereas on the other side, I think the visualization, the creative, the imaginative side of the art, you know, brings in diagnoses. Um, again, we're talking about these uh, things that other people may not have thought of. Mm-hmm. One example, when I lecture, because actually I compiled a list of physicians in the arts. I think I'm about to, up to 30 or 40, and I, I lectured it. <laughs> and apologies to uh, Mary Shelley, I entitled it uh, Prometheus Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> because unknowingly, because that was the title of, subtitle of her book, because I thought that, you know, bringing fire or knowledge, uh, but having this kind of monstrous entity, and people don't, Oh, they forget that actually the the monster was not named Frankenstein. The doctor's name was Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. So this kind of bring of the creative aspect of thinking, uh, you know, thinking out of the box, and as I say, dancing at the edges of the Gaussian curve, um, I think are really helpful. One example uh, that's frequently brought up are, you know, the Renaissance man like da Vinci, but also Kekulé, um, who's a German uh, chemist. There was a long time problem in, in uh, finding out how six carbon atoms could be linked, chemically structured. Mm-hmm. And uh, the story is that he dreamt of uh, Ouroboros, the snake that held its tail. And so he came up with the idea that the, the chain should actually be a benzene ring, a ring of carbons uh, instead of a string. And so, you know, through his dreaming, et cetera, that was uh, a creative solution to a scientific problem. Yeah, I mean, I think even um, the way we started off with the moment where you went to med- medical school instead of art school, um, there's already the seed that's implanted there. Like, you are creative, and this creativity applies um, as you move forward in in life. And, and that initiative with STEAM is very much embedded in that. It's like, you can be a creative teacher, a creative doctor, a creative lawyer. Absolutely. Uh, we definitely need the creative component in engineering and engineering systems and engineering cities Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, and oftentimes that seems to be like that the first thing to be ignored and because it's only seen as this kind of it almost seems frivolous it's like oh it's the art class the kids are just playing with crayons exactly and and i wonder if um you know, the more we see these initiatives, uh, the more that we can see change and advocate for that in some sense. Um, I feel very hopeful about the yeah. whole thing, too. It just makes me feel like we're entering a new era where artists are sought out as problem solvers in a way that they never were before. Um, mm-hmm. And that there will be a lot more value placed within them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. I think and that. Oh, go ahead. Well, the, the bridge with technology, too, around multisensory experiences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and as artists and creative thinkers, a lot of what we engage with is multisensory experiences mm-hmm. in being in touch with what you read visually, what you understand through smell and tastes. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as, there is, as we're thinking about these productions with technology, we're both moving away from that and getting closer to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, just the the contribution of the creative side. Uh, one of the opportunities I was given, and I was grateful for it, was I invited by the architecture school at Pratt uh, to come in and sit in on their crits for architecture. Mm-hmm. And at first, I was scratching my head and saying, "What do I? What can I contribute <laughs> to architecture?" Um, <laughs> when I got in there, uh, 
they a lot of the problems start with a biological model say mm -hmm. a wing or an arm making the analogy to a building mm. you know the the church uh, the physical structure of the church is the body of Christ and mm -hmm. in terms of one sense right. um, like the nave and the arms so I was really uh, confused at first but then when they started talking about the analogies between bio biological structures and mm -hmm. physical structures then I got to saying, oh yeah, you know, yeah. I can contribute something to this. I, I talked about how the immune system is basically an amplification system uh, and memory. Because um, memory is something I'm very much interested in, especially related to fragrance. So there are two things that had happened. One is that I did a, um, a conference at MoMA that was called, if I can remember the correct uh, title, the, the Importance of Medicine in importance of art in contemporary medicine, something like that. I'm sorry, I don't have the exact title. Mm -hmm. But that was a great panel. It was organized by um, University of Virginia, I believe, and I hope I can get all this right. But basically, uh, on the panel was, uh, was Oliver Sacks, and mm -hmm. so I got to speak with him. And we, talk, we talked about a project uh, about memory and, uh, and fragrances. That's one of my interests. Uh, you know, it was mentioned earlier that I'm uh, the curator for the Institute for Art and Olfaction that started by Saskia Wilson-Brown in Los Angeles, who's an amazingly energetic woman uh, behind this. Um, we have workshops, uh, we have lectures, invited uh, um, speakers. But the, the thing about fragrance of memory is, you know, the Proustian phenomenon, as people call it. Mm. When Proust, you know, ate the madeleine and smelled the madeleine, it reminded him of his grandmother immediately. Yeah. So we know that uh, the fragrance is a, an immediate evocator of, uh, of, of memory. Mm. Um, so I did two exhibitions around that, actually in Ukraine, in Kiev, and they were about neurodiversity. And so I included people who have... Uh, uh, autism spectrum disorders, uh, synesthesia, mm -hmm. uh, remarkable a group of indiv individuals for that, uh, for that exhibition. I'm using my premise of uh, memory and fragrance with two things. One is that the sense of smell is the first sense that's lost during Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. And Do two, that? Interesting. Wow. that the brain is wired differently um, from the first sense than, than the other senses, meaning that most of the other senses go through the thalamus, which is kind of like a, a relaying a system. Mm -hmm. But the sense of smell, because it's the most primitive part of the brain, mainly bypasses the thalamus and goes right to the limbic system where our emotions arise. And mm -hmm. this is the reason people think that our emotions are linked so immediately to memory. So what um, Oliver... Sachs and I started to say, to think about was, you know, how can we link these two uh, concepts? How can we not cure, but how can we ameliorate the progress of Alzheimer's through the sense of smell? Mm. And so this generated ideas about um, uh, can we use uh, memory gardens? Can we use uh, comfort foods? Can mm. we use these things to kind of bring back memory in a multi-sensory way? So memory gardens where people are planting uh, physically handling plants, they smell the aroma of the plants, their familiar surroundings. There's actually one uh, project that I've linked onto in which they have uh, video screens in uh, nursing homes, one in particular in California, and uh, these are linked to FRID technology, radio frequency ID bracelets, that trigger a specific uh, program on the screen of that 
person's memory. So we have photographs, you know, bringing up these images. And what I wanted to do, it still has been implemented there, is to add an olfactory component to that, see if we can have a summary effect with the visual. You could mm -hmm. also try that with uh, sound as well, you know, a favorite dance tune, something to bring you back to your high school prom or that kind of thing. <laughs> so multi-sensory stimulation right. is uh, kind of my focus, uh, what I'd like to do in this area. And unfortunately, uh, uh, you know, Oliver Sacks, the ocular melanoma took him uh, from us mm -hmm. too soon. Um, I'm happy you just explained that because um, in my lead up to this interview when I was researching, whenever I hear multisensory experience, I'm thinking about people making an Instagrammable moment. I feel like that's sort of where we're at right now with right. curation with a right. lot of people. <laughs> it's like what, what multi, like what large scale installation can I create to make people take a photo, but you're utilizing your knowledge of all of this to actually change behavior and health. And I, I'll just say that, you know, if I was ever looking for artists that um, touch on any of these subjects, you're my source, <laughs> which is one of the reasons why you're here. Um, I'm happy to share information. I, I look to you to be the expert in bringing together the arts and science and really tapping into artists who care about that and are um, developing research in that area. Um, and performances and all kinds of other things and we've been asking a lot of the curators how do you find artists so I've, I find you and that's how I find <laughs> artists so um, how do you, where are you finding all these artists because a lot of times they yeah. are underrepresented right. or um, sort of on this like margin yeah. that you've yeah, yeah. been talking about no that is that is a very very good question so uh, one of the things I've learned is um, one of the reasons for success is to surround yourself with uh, smart people <laughs> and so I find that uh, uh, personal recommendations asking people who's uh, who I respect mm -hmm. uh, for recommendations for artists uh, that uh, rates very highly on my radar screen in terms of pursuing yeah. uh, you know looking for those artists but I would say that the the bulk of the um, the material on artists and artist selection comes from being on a lot of panels mm -hmm. so as a result of being on Artomize board we have about a thousand applicants uh, every year, and so I have an opportunity to review not all thousand, but to review a large number of them. And so, uh, you know, also being uh, asked to be on uh, programs like Residency Unlimited, which is the uh, Natalie Anglaise's uh, residency program in Brooklyn, uh, having been on the Verla Center for Art and Politics, uh, going through the Whitney program. Mm -hmm and all the graduates, the alums, you know, from that program and that I stay in touch with. All of these, you know, lend to, uh, and I tend, I like going out to uh, selected openings and just meeting new people and traveling. I, I have to say that travel is um, one thing that really, really uh, opens things up for me. So just as an example, besides coming here and looking at different projects that I want to do here and forming maybe a new company, um, my travel uh, in December includes going to Iceland. Mm -hmm. There's a residency program there called Fresh Winds Biennial, mm -hmm. and it's run by Maria Samper, who's an artist that was in the Ibiennale. And uh, I'll be doing back-to-back -back residencies there with another entity called SIM. Okay. I'm going to go to Finland after that okay. to do another uh, project or residency program. Um, before that, <laughs> moving back uh, in time, um, in October, actually, I've been invited to Kinshasa, 
the Democratic Republic of the Congo to be a curatorial advisor for the Young Congo Biennale. Wow. How exciting. This so it's very, very it's very exciting. Uh, there's a lot happening in Africa right now. Uh, there's a woman, unfortunately I can't remember her name, in Nigeria who's running something or curating something called Lagos X, I believe, or something very similar, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. bringing a lot of attention, you know, to you know to the area. Uh, I've been to Africa before, but not Sub-Saharan Africa, so I'm very excited about this. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of prescient, you know, having done D'Afrique d'Asie years ago, mm-hmm. kind of now that there are links between more links between Asia and Africa. Yeah. Not just oil, but culturally, <laughs> uh, you know, having Okwe and Weezor, you know, be a, a, you know one of the curators for the uh, Venice Biennale. I think that uh, looks to yeah. a movement, you know, towards uh, diversification mm-hmm. and inclusion. Yeah. Are there places? It sounds like you go everywhere in the world, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> no, no stone is left unturned. Um, there are, are there places that you want to visit that you haven't visited, or artists that you want Absolutely. to work with that you haven't? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's two parts to the, to the answer. So let me uh, say, on my bucket list. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's your bucket list. My bucket list are Bhutan. Mm-hmm. And I do have some inroads to Bhutan. There's a, a physician, um, John Culkin, a magnificent photographer, uh, who is doing uh, medical missions in Bhutan. So that's an opportunity. There are members of the royal family in Los Angeles that I've uh, been in touch mm-hmm. with. And I've also reached out to uh, artists and uh, gallerists, there are not that many, um, uh, throughout the world, you know, identified them. There's also the resource of the Rubin Museum, the Himalayan Museum, and uh, Mm -hmm. the people there are amazing and they've been amazingly helpful. So the second would be Tasmania. (laughs) Uh Um, I worked with uh, Kirsha Kashelli who used to be with um, uh, projects in Los An- or New Orleans, I'm sorry. And uh, she is now uh, married to David Walsh, who's the owner of MONA, the Museum of oh. Old and New Art. Yeah. And so I'd like to propose an uh, exhibition for them. I think it's, uh, it's become a cultural destination. Um, it's an independent, totally independent museum with its own funding. So mm-hmm. they can do um, really uh, amazing projects, and that's what I'm looking forward to. Mm. Yeah, I was going to mention that the other travel uh, more locally is to um, Kentucky. Oh. I've been asked to uh, be an advisor. This is the second time I've been asked to advise, this time as a residency for the Great Meadows Foundation, which uh, sponsors artists from Kentucky. So I'm being given a home or house um, and uh, for two months. And we'll be looking at artists in the Kentucky region. So in terms of the areas I want to look at, um, I have experience in San Francisco with Creative Growth, which is uh, now they're in uh, art fairs now, but they started off as a a center teaching disabled artists uh, how to uh, make change, uh, make uh, uh, daily living skills, basically. Mm -hmm. So I was on the board of that when I was in San Francisco. I want to look at other areas that have not been looked at in terms of artists, the definition of what an artist is, you know, mm-hmm. outsider artists, uh, prison art, um, mm-hmm. all of those areas. Um, so I'm th- well, there's so many other areas. So <laughs> many areas. Um, yes. What, uh, when and will you be in Kentucky? Uh, that's for February and March of next year. Okay, yeah. very much, 2020. Yeah. Okay. 
Wow. Uh, yeah. The, uh, um, <laughs> I want to mention one more thing. Yes, so after, please, <laughs> please. <laughs> after Africa, I'm going to be going to India. Okay. Um, actually, it's for a wedding, but whenever I travel, I try to <laughs> include things. Include <laughs> art, yeah. So I've been to Delhi and Rishikesh and uh, Varanasi before, but I'm looking forward to Mumbai mm. and Rajasthan. And I'm hoping that uh, since it's nearby, I can do a segue to Bhutan, but that remains to be seen. <laughs> it's so close. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I'd be able to squeeze it in. I don't want to do too much, uh, spread myself too thin. I'd like to. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, we're all laughing and smiling because it sounds like there's already a lot, a yeah, lot going, going on. on. Why not go to Bhutan too? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so one of the questions we've been asking everyone is where do you see yourself in five years but I feel like you're already planned out for several this itinerary could last five years I know yeah well there are recurring exhibitions like the Trenial and the I Biennale so those will continue but I have to bring it back to family Mm. I do want to be spending time with my kids and grandkids and maybe great grandkids who knows at that time (laughs) Don't pressure anybody. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the kids are too young. For yeah. Great grandkids. It's a, it's a, it's a dream. It's a dream. It's a dream. But uh, yeah, that is uh, no. In terms of the future, those you know, and also organizing uh, more projects. I haven't given, um, not given up, but I still will continue to do projects in Hawaii. That's my passion. I was born and raised mm-hmm. there, and the need for this the most isolated, uh, you know, metropolis in the world. Uh, I think um, that's where that's where my heart is, and that's what yeah. the artists I want to help. Uh, yeah. So that will continue under another banner. It's called Pono Projects, as you mentioned Projects. in the introduction. Yeah. Got it. Um, I see you brought in a book to share with us today. What do you have there? Oh, thanks for asking. This is uh, entitled Center Point Now, which is a journal that's put out by the WCP1, the World Council of Peoples for the United Nations. Mm-hmm. This is an organization that I'm advising on. Uh, it has several legs. One is the that we curate exhibitions in the Dag Hammarskjöld Plaza across from the UN. Uh, also, this journal is uh, self-funded uh, by by Cheryl Kazan, and uh, who's an amazing powerhouse behind this because there's not there's no advertising. It's all funded at like ten thousand dollars per page that she gets. But this is a journal that goes out to every UN uh, affiliate in the world. And so it has a lot of, uh, has global visibility. So I was involved in a panel discussion that she invited me to participate in um, that had to do with uh, indigenous, uh, actually had to do with Eastern and Western medicine. So on the panel was the uh, president of the Acupuncture University uh, in Beijing. There's a woman from Puerto Rico who was using, uh, who is using Reiki therapy in cancer patients, mm-hmm. and myself, which uh, I was proposing the openness of Western medicine to Eastern medicine. And so the next project that's coming up actually is the Center Point Now journal that will focus on indigenous health. And so that's actually the focus that I wanted to, uh, to mention. Uh, and so we're organizing that now. That's when incredible. will it happen? Do you know when it will uh, happen? It's in the process. Of, uh, the process. The f- again, the funding needs to be raised okay. because of the cost of the journal. But uh, right. the conference itself will run parallel to that as well. Okay. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, beautiful publication. Thank you. If you hadn't been a doctor or <laughs> into art, um, was there a- anything else that you would have pursued? It sounds like you're you're sort of 
You have your finger in a lot of different pies. Yeah, I think I have like a, a creative gene that I probably can't reject. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unless yeah. we use CRISPR technology and take it out. <laughs> but no, but seriously, no, in terms of it's always been a, a part of me, so I'm not sure I forget ever give it up. If I had to choose, I think, well, there are three possibilities. One would be an architect, because mm-hmm. mm. I think that creating these as a curator, uh, creating immersive interactive environments kind of fits the you know the bill for architects as well architecture mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. uh i want to mention uh, kulapat yantrasast who's an architect in los angeles who's uh, known for uh, renovating or redesigning the speed museum in kentucky mm-hmm. also did the marciano museum in los angeles um wonderful architect with whom i've worked doing salons uh, interactive salons mm-hmm. something i actually started here in, in new york and continue in in Los Angeles. Um, second would be uh, dairy goat farmer. Ooh, <laughs> wow! weren't expecting. I, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a prior career, uh, in which uh, at the time we were milking a hundred goats by hand twice a day, and uh, delivering the milk to uh, Lori Chanel, who made her famous California Chevre that was served at Chez Panisse. So wow. yeah. That would be other. There, there would be a script writer because I'm very interested in writing. Um, I'm very passionate about uh, the writings of Cormac McCarthy, just the way he uses words. Mm-hmm. And most recently, this uh, Vietnamese artist named Ocean uh, Writer, uh, Ocean Vuong. I'm not sure if you've read his uh, writings, but uh, I, it just came on my radar screen. I'm very excited about the way he writes. So those three. I'm interested in movies and producing a movie etc but that's well there's that's still time you can still yeah. do some of yeah. I feel like we could sneak all those <laughs> in there somehow <laughs> goat dairy farming <laughs> actually you well, sort of check yeah, that off your yeah. list <laughs> well that's my interest in food you know and again yeah. going back to you know perhaps multi-sensory you know, all that yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah 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 oh so so interesting thank you so much for coming and oh, talking with us today we could make this four hours long but we're gonna it's have fun to, to have you here. back in Tribeca yeah, <laughs> it's wonderful. You. Thank you very much for your opportunity. So, thank you to Cohen, Jeff Baisa, and season four co host Ava Mayabal Davis. You can email us at info at theremix.nyc, follow us at theremix.nyc, follow Cohen at artandolfaction.com, I Biennale on Facebook, and KJ Baisa on Instagram. And that's KJ B A Y S A. Production is by Courtney Coleman. Thanks, Courtney. You're welcome. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks so much.